Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Moving Immune Checkpoint Inhibitors to Resected Early Stage Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Emerging Strategies for Adjuvant Therapy. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Merck and Company. Hello, I'm Professor Mary O'Brien. I'm a consultant medical oncologist treating lung cancer at the Royal Marsden in London, and I'm also Professor of Medical Oncology affiliated with Imperial College London. Here is a survival curve for patients who have had resected lung cancer. There is a very rapid fall-off in survival in the early years, particularly in stage 3 and 4B. Only about 6% of patients get to 5 years. Overall, about half of your patients get to 5 years. Therefore, there's a huge unmet need to improve survival outcome after surgery for non-small cell lung cancer. Here are the current adjuvant chemotherapy regimens that are used after surgery. Chemotherapy is offered depending on the size of the tumor and the number of lymph nodes involved. The most commonly used regimens vary between countries. In the UK, carboplatin is our most preferred platinum agent. Many other countries use cisplatinum. In some places, pemetrexate is the chosen second drug if the cancer was adenocarcinoma, whereas gemcitabine, docetaxel, vinorelbin, or atopicide can all be used with cisplatinum or carboplatin for all histologies. My preferred regimen is probably carboplatin with vinorelbin, but all of these regimens appear to be equally effective with a similar toxicity, most of which is myelosuppression, and therefore I do strongly support the use of prophylactic growth factors with each cycle of treatment as primary prophylaxis. Other indications have developed from recent trials in specific subgroups. If your patient has resected tumor and has an EGFR mutation, adjuvant treatment with ozimertinib for up to three years improves outcome. So ozimertinib is now a standard treatment in most countries for these patients. The next emerging pathway is the use of immunotherapy. The study evaluating atezolizumab is the first study to report the benefit of immune therapy in stage 2 to 3a patients with at least some PDL1 expression, i.e., greater than or equal to 1%. Pembrolizumab now also has data which has just been reported. Data on nivolumab and dervalumab will hopefully come out either this year or next year. Let's look specifically at the detail of the immune therapy data for the adjuvant treatment of resected early-stage lung cancer. Here are the data on the use of atezolizumab looking at disease-free survival as the primary endpoint in patients who did express some PDL1 and in stage 2 to 3A. We have a statistically significant positive effect of atezolizumab from about three months onwards compared with best supportive care, improving the percentage of patients who are alive by about 13% at two years. This data was enough to give this drug FDA approval in this indication for stage 2 and 3A with expression of PDL1 greater than 1%. The study with pembrolizumab has just been reported this year. 
and for all patients, irrespective of their PDL1 expression, and including all stages, we have a positive trial with up to about 10% improvement in the disease free survival compared with placebo and a hazard ratio which is statistically significant. For overall survival for atezolizumab, the data are not mature yet, but for pembrolizumab, although it's not statistically significant, we could end up with about a 10 to 12% survival benefit if these data hold up. Now, how do we select patients for adjuvant immunotherapy? The positive results of the atezolizumab trial were driven by the significant hazard ratio in the PDL1 high group. And indeed, in some countries, that's the only license available for use of this drug. However, overall, there is a benefit for anyone with a PDL1 greater than 1%. The pembrolizumab trial has also stratified their results based on PDL1 status, although the PDL1 was assessed in both trials with different antibodies. The better hazard ratios appear to be in the lesser PDL1 expression. But in general, again, most people seem to benefit from the treatment. Another way of working out who to select is to look at stage. In the atezolizumab study, stage 1b was included, but the full data of the analysis, including stage 1b, has not been fully reported. And therefore, the license for atezolizumab at the moment is stage 2 and 3a. However, the pembrolizumab trial has all stages from the beginning and all stages appear to get some benefit. So now we will move on to look at how safe these treatments are and how easily they can be given. In terms of safety, there were no new safety concerns with any of these immune therapy agents. We have great experience now using these agents in advanced disease. There is toxicity, even when patients get best supportive care or placebo. There are serious side effects that can lead to treatment discontinuation or that can lead to treatment death in a very small proportion of patients receiving immune therapy. In the atezolizumab trial of over 1,000 patients, there were eight deaths reported in the atezolizumab group and three deaths in those receiving supportive care alone. Deaths reported in the atezolizumab group were due to interstitial lung disease, multiple organ dysfunction syndrome, myocarditis, acute myeloid leukemia, pneumothorax, cardiovascular accident, arrhythmia, and acute cardiac failure. There was an increased incidence of grade 3 or higher adverse events in the atezolizumab arm compared with the control group with increased ALT, pneumonia, and AST being the most commonly observed. So in Keynote 091, again, of over 1,000 patients, the safety profile of pembrolizumab was also as expected. Four treatment-related deaths were reported in the pembrolizumab arm and none in the placebo arm. The four deaths were due to myocarditis plus cardiogenic shock, myocarditis plus septic shock, pneumonia, and sudden death. The incidence of grade three or more adverse events was higher in the pembrolizumab arm versus placebo. Pneumonitis, severe skin reactions, and hepatitis were among the most common treatment-related grade three or higher adverse events. 
To optimize outcomes, compliance with treatment is very important. The treatment lasted for a year in both trials. In general, for both atezolizumab and pembrolizumab, patients were getting 16 to 17 courses of treatment every three years. And for both trials, this was their planned number of treatments. The figures for compliance here describe the median. 50% of patients did in fact complete their year's treatment, but you could also say that 50% on the other hand did not. And there will be more detail on compliance data later. And now let's go on to discuss the management of adverse events. Now, to achieve greater outcomes, we have to learn to accept toxicity, but the key is to manage it appropriately so that patients come to no harm. It's important to remember that every symptom has a grade of toxicity listed in the CTC toxicity grading, showing the seriousness of the side effect and the need for dose alterations in the future or not. For instance, immunotherapy can be continued with close monitoring of the majority of grade 1 toxicities. For most grade 2s, consider holding back immunotherapy and consider corticosteroids. In the event of grade 3 toxicity, you can start with high-dose steroids and the immunotherapy remains on hold until toxicity reverses. Rechallenge with immunotherapy once symptoms revert to grade 1 or less, but for grade 4 toxicities, Patients may need to be hospitalized, and immunotherapy probably needs to be permanently discontinued. And if we take this example of diarrhea, the grading goes according to the number of stools per day. So these are important questions to ask your patient. If diarrhea symptoms are grade 2, corticosteroids should be considered. And when you get above 7 stools per day, this could lead to hospitalization and lead to the need for intravenous therapies. Pneumonitis is quite difficult because it can be infection and it can also be called pneumonia. But pneumonitis can occur and patients can be asymptomatic where often it's picked up just on a scan. And indeed, intervention is not indicated. However, if a patient is becoming symptomatic, is becoming hypoxic, or notice they're more breathless, then this is time to call it a grade 2 and initiate steroids and hold your immunotherapy. Grade 3 symptoms can come very rapidly. Oxygen is often indicated. Again, immunotherapy should be put on hold and intravenous steroids may be needed. Grade 4 is the more severe, life-threatening respiratory compromise. Pruritus is normally considered a minor symptom. It normally would require no treatment or a topical treatment, but when it becomes more prolonged and serious, it can interfere with sleep and then patients find their quality of life is affected and this is very unpleasant. So now we'll discuss the practical considerations for selecting the adjuvant therapies for surgically resected early stage non-small cell lung cancer. Adjuvant chemotherapy is a standard of care for patients who are fit for it. Adjuvant chemotherapy was mandated for the atezolizumab trial, but it was only used if clinically indicated according to local guidelines for the pembrolizumab trial. Following adjuvant chemotherapy, we can add in atezolizumab for those patients who have stage 2 or 3 disease 
and who have greater than 1% PDL1 expression. Pembrolizumab has not got its regulatory license yet, but in due course, it should have, and the data at that point may well include all stages 1B to 3A and all levels of PDL1 expression. Now, what are the contraindications to immunotherapy? First of all, we're very cautious with patients who have active or previously documented autoimmune diseases because we know that this can flare up again. We don't like patients to be on high-dose steroids because this implies they have some serious condition with an autoimmune component. But we're not so afraid of small doses of steroids and certainly not of replacement physiological doses of steroids. And finally, the presence of an oncogene, for example, an EGFR mutation, could actually predict that these patients would benefit more from targeted therapy than from immune therapy, although we don't have a big enough data set to say what we should do in this situation. But for now, for an EGFR mutation, ozimertinib is the standard. In summary, the disease-free gains for the use of immunotherapy with both atezolizumab and pembrolizumab with hazard ratios of around between 0.66 and 0.76 gives us a disease-free survival gain of around 24%. We hope that this will translate into an overall survival gain at five years of between 5 and 10% as we get currently with adjuvant chemotherapy. The adjuvant immunotherapies add to the growing number of treatments that could improve the cure rate for resected early-stage lung cancer. We know that the disease-free survival is a surrogate for overall survival, but don't forget that relapsing disease is the most significant and life-changing moment for patients with resected disease. They think their worst moment is being diagnosed, but the relapse after a potentially curative therapy has an even greater effect on patients. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.